Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Mintified Bites. I'm your host, Ilir Dadif, and today I'm delighted and honored to welcome a very special guest, the man himself, Miles Daughtry. Miles is a digital artist and designer whose works such as Reprogram, Abstract Glitch, and upcoming drop Metadata revolves around examining the interaction between individuals and their environment, with a specific focus on the design aspects that enhance human-centered experiences. Miles' perspectives, approaches, and works can be found on his Twitter, at Miles Daughtry. Miles, how are you? So hyped to have you here. I'm blessed, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to to join along for a conversation and hopefully get to know more about you guys and vice versa. Awesome. You know, I'm always, I always take it as such a privilege anytime I have artists or creatives on here. I honestly find artists and creatives just the best people to talk to. With that being said, every artist, not only through the stories they tell, but through their own lived experiences, have their own story. With that being said, I would love to know your beginnings and growth as an artist and a creative. Yeah, so I started out uh, about 10 years ago, fashion design. I went back to school for to learn more specifically within fashion design, but also took a lot of electives. So art, product management, supply management, various things kind of related to fashion, also just kind of mandatory electives. And so from there, I just started kind of building my perspective. I was really eager and excited to learn how I could transform what I see and how I could continue to, or just initially create outside the box concepts. And so between schooling and then a lot of lectures, I kind of started to really gain footing on a direction. Um, I was listening to a Virgil Apple lecture and he was really talking about his experience and his degree in formal study of architecture. And so it kind of sparked the initial um, idea in my mind, planted to see that, hey, uh, you know, the greatest designers kind of have these unorthodox perspectives and kind of foundations that then really make, you know, whatever they're designing or their silhouettes have um, a different effect, a different feel to them. Um, and so I really kind of took that breadcrumb and, and started to, you know, take off from there, uh, doing as much as I could to absorb the creations of other people who inspired me, the Damien Hurst, the Marcel Duchamp's, the Ellsworth Kelly's. And then from there, you know, I think, um, I really, you know, defined, you know, what was important to me and what I wanted to get at and the narrative that I felt was important for me to push, which is sustainable design. That's great. You said the narrative you chose to pursue was sustainable design. I want to know how does digital art in your eyes kind of play a role in sustainability in a way that you didn't find in fashion? Great question. Um, so I was probably my second year of fashion design, I took a textiles class and really started to learn about how fabrics are made and the consequences, the, um, I guess, eco footprint that, you know, companies, manufacturers, businesses push out when they create um, a garment, you know, everything starts from a seed um, and then from there it gets dyed or 
bleached into whatever color um you know the end you know creators try to create and then you know that is the process which is the, kind of the most dangerous and um at least amount of sustainability connected to it and so I kind of started really pushing away from that being an idea that for me was native to how I learned to express myself and what I wanted to stay true to. And so I started playing with repurposing products that were already kind of within our, our ecosystem, um, products that already exist within the supply chain. So I'm not asking a manufacturer to recreate something to take from resources um, that haven't been yet maybe tapped into I'm tapping into things that one way or another would get used and that led me to doing a lot more digital design and using acrylic um, for kind of the physical output which then kind of parlayed into me getting more involved with digital work and you know whether that's framing it in traditional you know art or whether that was you know painting it as a reflection of the digital design or whether that was again printing on acrylic um you know with inkjet printers this became kind of something that made sense to me and then from there i kind of got into blockchain and got more into crypto uh, and then i started hearing about nfts and then i started connecting the dots of the importance of province the importance of immutability um these are things that are sustainable right as as we become more of a digital society as um we deal less with paper and less with physical products and our identities become more digital. I think having reference points in province and immutability becomes even that much more important. Um, so it made sense, right? And, you know, when you're creating digital work, you're not also using paper. You're not also using ink. Not that I have a, a problem with using these resources and tools to be creative. But it's more so about being conscious of the, uh, uh, of the effects and kind of having some balance to when you tap into a certain medium and how you tap into it, why you tap into it. So that kind of really um, was the rabbit hole that went down and the thought process behind um, why I wanted to do more with sustainable design and then how that translated into digital art on Slash the Blockchain. You really bring to light something that comes up in this debate whenever we want to talk about digital artists or great people dropping collections, which is the digital art world versus the traditional art world. And I've always thought of it as, on one side, the traditional art world can almost be seen as looking down on digital art. One thing you do a great job of is providing a real great pro and kind of look into the benefits and not necessarily the benefits, but the kind of world that we can create through digital art and through sustainability. And I really admire that. One thing that really stands out about you as an artist overall is your strong artistic thesis and your ability kind of, as you said, to connect the dots. Moving away from just the theoretics and obviously getting to know you, which is great. I want to know about some of the stuff that you've really applied and you've really put out for people to see, especially in the Web3 community. Can you tell us a bit about your inspiration behind your abstract glitch collection? Yes. So uh, the inspiration kind of narrative, you know, for abstract glitch was it's my Genesis collection. And I have a, a deep love for abstract art. When I was first getting into art, 
I was trying to locate and find how I could articulate myself because if you don't have any kind of formal training and you don't kind of delve into the history of art, you'll you'll think that if you don't create straight lines and if you don't create beautiful paintings, then you're not an artist. Wasn't until I took art one oh one that I realized it's as simple as organic um lines, you know, or applied lines, like there's so many different forms and techniques and, and principles that we use as creators to establish visual hierarchy that we use to establish various different things. And so um to me, abstract art, you know, uh, beyond Duchamp's contribution of conceptual art, which was the initial engine to kind of change how people viewed um, art, which is around the 1910s. Uh, beyond that, that really inspired the second movement, which is abstract art, I pay in which uh, technically speaking, abstract art became one of the largest movements throughout history um, because more people could do it, right? It was abstract. It was free-flowing. You didn't have to stick to a certain type of style. You have to stick to a certain type of perfection. Imperfection was the equivalent to perfection when you're doing abstract art. Imperfection is almost better than perfection in abstract art. As a creator, you are creating what you feel, not what you think you see or what you think you should see. And so that was one of my favorite kind of forms of art, abstract art. And so then when I got introduced to Web3 and I started learning more about the creators and I learned about Xcopy, I did really enjoy his use of glitch work. Not that he was the first to do it, but you know he planted the seed for me, uh, proliferated ideas you know, within my um, atmosphere. And from there, uh, you know, I also appreciate his use of color um, and his use of composition and also how he's created a, a really strong community off of the cultural dynamics of Web3 grifting, for example. Uh, this was cool to me. And so that was probably two and a half years ago, but I was in a different place. I was creating different things and I don't just create to create. I don't just create to make money. It's not about that for me. If I'm going to say something, I'm really going to be getting at something. I'm really going to have something that is sustainable and that three years from now I could talk about with depth. And so uh, I wanted to kind of merge those two worlds because I haven't seen Web3 uh, abstract collection that was glitch. Not that I haven't see, seen things that have abstract ties to connected to them, but I felt that I really wanted to and uh, you know push out an idea that merge those two worlds and so uh you know i created that as a genesis drop that was free um that also gives you access to um some future things i'm working on you don't just create to create i love that and that's seen everywhere in your artistic thesis and it's what makes your work honestly so great you mentioned something about imperfection as art and to me that obviously applies to life overall in the abstract way you could say that we view things We've created a culture of perfectionism that really plagues creatives. And I was talking about this with Nick Stadith the other day. How do you overcome the challenge of the idea of perfectionism or a piece of work being not perfect, but adequate, especially considering all the eyes and attention that art inevitably garners? That's a great question. I think whenever you try to penetrate any market, you have to, you know, I'll say this a lot. You have to really try to, you know, you have to really establish what you're trying to get at and what you're trying to accomplish what's the narrative and then you have to establish how you're going to demonstrate that what's your demonstration um and for me 
that's why I am not plagued by this idea that I need to put out a certain amount of pieces or this idea that I'm looking for people to accept my work. You know, th that's the biggest thing I think people don't realize. I, somebody the other day reached out to me, asked me um, how they could become an artist. And I told them, you know, it's not your most traditional answer. Um, most people might say, go get procreate. That, that, let me take a step back. Not most people. Some people might say, let me get procreate or, or go get procreate or go get AI or go get Figma. But I'll tell you, go, go research, go find somebody that you resonate with, go find someone that you look at their work, you hear them talk and they move you, they influence you. So much of being an artist is, it's like, you know, it's just so different than being a writer. You know, it's having an imagination. So much of being a writer is being able to think like a writer. And so should be an artist to be able to think and talk like an artist, right? Understanding what the base of why you do something, and then therefore it's, it becomes relatively easy to push out great work. So I think, you know, a, a lot of artists, you know, if you're coming into the space and you just think the first thing you do is create something or you draw a painting and you're an artist, you know, you, you brought a point up earlier, sometimes the traditional world can look down on Web3 artists or digital artists. And I think you know, a lot of times it's, you know, classism or social, you know, socialism, you know, things that have to do with money or things outside of our control. But sometimes it has to do with, you know, again, the hardest thing I understand was what's your thesis? Because anyone that's, you know, a traditional artist, they do have a thesis and they have a very profound and, and in-depth thesis. And um, it's it, every single time they push out a work, it almost builds something else or it tells a different part of that story. So I think, you know, that would be my piece of advice and just kind of my experience, you know, within this space uh, of being a creative. First thing that came to mind, uh, I want to, I want to quickly ask, do you think that there are people who are kind of naturally more talented at creating art or is it about people that find their voice or is finding your voice kind of a bit of luck or is it talent? I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. You actually really a lot of, a lot of great in-depth questions and actually mean that because this is something that when I'm asked, I, I kind of share, you know, I, I never knew I was a creator. I never knew I was an artist. Never looked at myself as an artist. To be honest with you, I got a full scholarship to play at the University of Mexico um, to play football. My first collegiate game was University of the University of Oregon. So I was a, I was a football player. I wanted to go to the NFL. Um, that was like my path. And, you know, I guess part of it was my mom is a published artist. She has works archived in the Smithsonian. He's with the modern arts. So, I saw a lot of her, I guess, as a, as a youth, kind of, you know, your first seven years, you're just taking in the world. So I guess I got a lot of subconscious training from her seeing what she, what she was doing. Um, so I, I would say that some of that probably rubbed off on me in a way I never knew. But a, a lot of that also came from being willing to explore. And once you take in more information, you really understand how the historical timeline of art works and you understand all the nuances. You know, a lot of times when people go and they look at a piece at a museum, you know, it's like, it's, Duchamp called it retinal art, right? Because you just go and you look at what you see. It's like reading a smart contract, but not knowing how to read solidity. Um, you might think you know what you're looking at. You might judge it for what you've seen based off of reference points, but you don't really know, you know? And so, but if you go into the museum, right, and you know that you understand the principles, then you can actually establish and kind of notice various nuances in someone's work that will be more profound or kind of will impact you in a different manner. So that's really good. I had uh, I had Tristan Reddick on here and he mentioned how, 
you know, he grew up around kind of artistic influences that in the same way rubbed off on him. D difference is, you know, you obviously had aspirations of sports and he kind of was, he had <laughs> dreams of graphic design and making monsters. But it's interesting that you had a sports background because that question of like talent or like look kind of, I kind of get the idea from sports because people say that athletes, for example, may be naturally talented and thus, you know, they're going to have more success or people that, you know, are going to outwork the people with the the talent. You talked about how you can kind of perceive others' work. And you also talked about how uh, uh, something core to your design thesis is that you're, you, you're not just creating to create and more so you're not just putting things out there that you don't believe has substance yourself and that you're confident in your own work yourself, which I 100% think is essential to being an artist is being unapologetic in your work. But in art, whether we like it or not, works garner attention and it's inevitable. How do you balance creating art for yourself versus creating art that an audience is going to interpret? I create based off of how I see the world. And that's, you know, why a lot of times I'll say design plus environment. Um, I'm more concerned about their environment. And I'm looking at the responses from people. I rarely create for myself. As a matter of fact, I think when I was doing fashion and more applied design, it was more for myself because you can wear, like you make a garment, you can wear it, right? So it almost feels like you're forcing your vision or something, right? Because why would you wear something you don't like? But you don't have to wear your art. So you're not forced to own people seeing you as a part of it. You're able to kind of like create it, put it on the wall or push it out and let people see it. And you can stand back and, and watch it with them. And so for me, I create, I don't create art, I create ideas. And um, that's the big you know, thing I try to, you know, focus on and portray in my work is creating things that, um, magnify what we're going on in society. The interpretation of my work is always interesting because again, I, I take a lot of my inspiration from Duchamp and I, I'm always trying to propose ideas. The art for me comes second. You know, the idea is far more valuable than the art. Um, you know, no one can, Duchamp, I mean, Basquiat has already created works that are Basquiat. And anyone that tries to create scattered work like that, random ideas, you were going to be compared to Basquiat. Um, that's the reality of it. But ideas are native to us all, meaning we all have our individual eclectic IP. And you build that IP by just opening yourself up to more reference points. So I don't create art, I create ideas. In an alternate universe where you are in the NFL, you would have the you you would have the best like post-game conferences. You'd be, you'd be amazing in the, in the press conference. So much to take away from your creative process and, and every day that I'm fortunate to be able to connect with amazing creative minds like yourself just kind of adds to my perspective. And I know that everyone listening can thank you for that as well. I want to pivot a little bit because hearing how you take apart ideas and put them back together to create art just makes me and I think everyone else think, what are you kind of working on next? Obviously, you do have a project in the works, your metadata collection. If you can give us a little sneak peek and the design thesis into that. Metadata was really influenced by what Jack Butcher did with Chuck's changing the metadata, the ability for people to kind of play with their outputs. I think it just came at a perfect time, sometimes about the timing of things. And for me, that really influenced me and inspired me. And I wanted to start creating and what inspired me most about it was the fact that 
it really made me realize and understand how important on-chain dynamics are and how important province and immutability is and will be. Again, when you know we are a mainly digital society, meaning you can go to the grocery store and they don't even give you the option any longer to take a paper receipt. We are in a full-fledged digital world. In that world, providence and immutability will be more important as ever. Not changing ideas and be able to predate and um, archive and verify ideas is essential. And so, you know, when I think back on my childhood, you know, I was, I'm from DC originally. And so I remember when 9-11 happened, um, my father actually worked at the Pentagon. And so I was a part of just my mom going to get him and rushing over there and these various dynamics that happened. And so, you know, when I think about September 11th, you know, that will never leave my mind. That date, you know, will have a reverence. And so I think that we all connect to dates, short statements, quotes, um, you know, words, language. Uh, they define us. Uh, a quote, a date can make you happy, can make you sad, can, you know, give you a gamut of emotions. And so this on-chain, this on-chain interactive installation is going to allow for people to have options to create their own inputs uh, that they will reflect in various outputs um, stylistically and also things that connect to uh, that of substance, kind of what I just explained. And so I'm really excited about that because there's a lot of different features. Again, there's a burn mechanic, there's, you know, super rares and, you know, the collection that you need to read the contract to kind of understand more about how that works. This is fully on chain. I'll, you know, also be doing the web two version which will be email submission only. And I'll be collaborating with a local gallery called Dialogue. And the goal of this will be to allow for people local to Phoenix and also people who are just online um, to be able to take part in a blockchain experience where all the works will be archived and minted to the blockchain post the exhibition. So I'm really kind of tying in two worlds, right? Educating the web to world and giving them a chance to also be a part of this experience, but they don't have to worry about, you know, um, account abstraction. Um, that is to say, setting up, setting up a MetaMask account. And then I'm also, but, but however, that experience is more static, right? And that's, that's the limitations of web, web three. That's what Jack Butcher really taught me, which is the dynamic art you can create in web three compared to web two is amazing. Like there's so much more possibilities to create unique and changing um, intuitively canvases. And so in the Web3 version, you know, there's way more dynamic aspects like the burn um, feature, which unlocks that edit feature. So I'm very excited about this project. It's been on the works for the last eight months. Actually, 10 months to be exact, started in February. I've collaborated with uh, amazing dev who people will get to learn more about uh, in you know article that we're creating to kind of tell our story we met on Twitter or X now uh, around the whole time of Jack Butcher's, you know, drop. And it's also rare. I've been in this space for three years now. It's also rare that you find somebody as passionate as this dad and as talented. Um, and we gained a, a nice relationship in bar, which is all part of the process. It is what makes art, art, the convergence of ecosystems, the convergence of fellowship, the convergence of, of data. So I plan to drop this early Q1. Um, so hopefully in January and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited about it. I'm really excited as well. One, because the overall design 
is phenomenal. But two, because it brings me to my obviously favorite word, the tab through word, uh, bridging the gap, but you've done it in a really creative way where you're having a web to exhibit where people are needing to create MetaMask, create wallets, and there's not barriers for people to just interact with Web3, as well as a Web3 component, you know, bridging the gap some and onboarding people, something we all talk about, something everyone wants to figure out how to do, and you're doing it through art. And I love it. One last question I want to ask you, just overall, where do you see the future of digital art in about five years? I think that in the next five years, you'll have more and more people who, I think it becomes more competitive. I think it becomes more saturated, obviously. You know, I think, you know, kind of off of the inspiration of X copy, there'll be a lot of grifting people who are coming into this space, trying to make money off of it. But I think even more importantly than that, you know, because there's two sides to every world, correct? Just want to kind of be honest in how I dissect what I, what I think, what I see. There's going to be the most innovation we've seen Maybe the last decade, um, there's going to be the next Basquiat, the next Warhol, the next Damien Hirst, the next Ellsworth Kelly, the next Marcel Duchamp, Picasso, you know, you name them, you're going to find them in this space. I think Web3 will set the tone for what installation art and dynamic exhibitions can really become. And I think the people who are here who have either found their voice or are on a true journey to find their voice and to use the technology of this you know, block a blockchain in general, and then you know the the relationships that you can create in this ecosystem to better society, or to push ideas out, or to expand on the current foundations that have been paved from the creators that have come before us. I think this is the place where that's going to be done. I think getting further away from auction houses and the greed of free ports and how those financial instruments work to deprive artists of what is their due earnings and their right to have royalties and also not allowing for art to be seen at public domains because it lives in the storages of warehouses simply to be leveraged for a financial instrument. So I think there's so many good elements that can come from Web3 and to me that connects to um, digital art. So I'm very bullish on the future of what I think is going to be created and um, what creators are going to create. You said this is the place to do it. And honestly, we're the people that are fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to be here on this journey and create that next iteration of the web. Well, Miles, I can definitely say I've learned so much from you today. And I think all of us listening have. I want to genuinely thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story your inspirations, and the process that goes into your work. Thank you. I appreciate that. And remember, ideas proliferate, y'all. With that being said, I will see you all on the next episode of Mintify Bytes. Thank you all for listening, and let's keep building.